prayer, and even the disciples had to be taught this. One of the things that they come to Jesus to a lot is, Lord, teach us to, to pray. Have you ever asked that? Lord, teach us to pray. The, the disciples were desperate to learn how to pray because they found, they saw prayer being lived out in Jesus' life as a fundamental bedrock of who he was living, like the life that he was living. And so Paul's posture reflects how he's, he's trying to lead these people. He falls to his knees. But our prayer, even as Jesus teaches disciples, what does he say? He says, when you pray, pray like this. What does he say next? Our Father. Jesus doesn't teach the disciples to pray like this. Jesus, I love you. Although that's a good prayer. Even Jesus, the Son of God, teaches his disciples who were his followers. These were his boys. He taught them to pray by saying this, our Father. So there must be significance there, right? And in this passage, we see the whole Trinitarian perspective of who God's revealed himself to be, right? So if you're new, if you're new to Christianity, if, you don't, if you're like, yeah, I just got here, I'm here because of my friend made me be here. And you're like, what is the Trinity? I'm really glad that you asked. I have a, a decent answer for you, okay? We, we teach our kids, we use a little book, a little catechism, and one of the fundamental first questions that we taught them, and they were little, they're still little, but they were really little, was, who is God? And they would say, God is our creator and king. And then the next question was, how many persons are there in God? Well, it's one God, okay? We don't believe that there's multiple gods. There's one God, three persons, okay? And you've got to do it just like that, which is really funny to watch a three-year-old do three like this. Three, two's a really hard one for kids to do, to do the bunny ears, but three's even harder. So we would do one God, three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. And we see all three here in this passage. But our prayers are to be directed to who? To the Father. Now, Jesus is the intercessor, right? That's, that was his promise. He sealed that with his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, so he takes our prayers to the Father. But our prayers are not directed to Jesus. They're directed to the Father. Jesus is the mediator, He's the conduit. He's the one that takes the petitions, the pleas, the cries of his people, now who carry his name. We are known as what? Christians. We are little Christs. That's literally what that word means. We are to model our lives after him. And so our prayers are directed to the Father. And so when we get that right... Now, everything that comes after that is being heard by a good and loving Father. Now, here's what I want to do, and I do this pretty much every time we, we do any sort of Trinitarian talk. As I know some of you in this room, I know for a fact, some of you in this room have terrible fathers. It's a reality, and I mean earthly father. A ter you have a terrible dad, and I'm really, really sorry. It's, it, that is one of the great travesties of human nature, is bad dads. Bad dads wreak more against culture than anything else. You can hold me to that. I may not be right, but I think I'm pretty right. Where, and in culture, when you have good, strong men leading their homes as father figures, you have good and strong culture. Where you don't, you have an erosion of culture. Okay? So if you're in the room, you're like, man, I, my dad was the worst. Or I didn't even know my dad. The beauty of the gospel, the, way, the reason that God reveals himself to us as a good and loving father is because he's perfect. 
And even if those of you in the room who have good dads, I have a good dad, God the Father is better than my dad. And that's true for my kids too. They have a pretty decent dad. But God the Father is better than me. And so he reveals himself to us as a good and loving and perfect father. And so he wants to hear, he wants to listen to the cries of your heart. So we pray, our Father. So do we understand now the directionality of our prayers? So God the Father hears our prayers. God the Son brings our prayers to the Father. And God the Spirit indwells us and gives us the power to pray the things that only God can deliver. This is the posture of prayer. Listen to Psalm 95. This is verses 6 and 7. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Teach me to pray. The best way to learn to pray is by praying. And I don't mean that flippantly. I mean that literally. Like so many people, it's like, I just, I'm terrible at praying. It's like, oh yeah, show me. I've yet to meet someone whose prayer is terrible. Even the simplest prayer is heard by a mighty God. Right? That's, hear that. Even a simple prayer. Something that you're like, I just don't even know if this is important to God. He wants to hear your prayers. So there are four things I think that we see here in prayer. One is this idea of prayer is a conversation. A lot of times I think, in, so I take my kids to school, uh, the older two. We have three kids, if you don't know my family. Uh, but the older two are in elementary school, one in the fourth grade and one in the second grade. And on the way to school every day, we kind of have this, a very similar rhythm, okay? And it's, we, we're going to listen to Shane and Shane. So if you want to lead your family well, worship initiative, okay? It's the, only, it's the only band that you can have them listen to where they're not going to drop the wrong F-bomb, okay? <laughs> so just be wary, right? But worship initiative is great, right? You can be listening to something and you think it's safe and all of a sudden a song comes on and you're like, oh my goodness, you weren't supposed to hear that. I wasn't supposed to hear that. Worship initiative doesn't do that, okay? So just know that. So we listen to that and then we pull into the school parking lot and we pray. Our prayers sound pretty similar every day after day after day after day. Do any of your prayers sound similar to the one that you prayed yesterday or maybe the one that you prayed an hour ago? And here is, here's what I want you to hear in this. is Even when you feel like your prayer is mundane, it's not. God hears your prayer. He wants to hear your prayer. But so much of praying, we think, is, is bringing our petitions, bringing our stuff, bringing our thing to God. Sometimes it's just being still and being quiet. That is also prayer. As we listen and receive from God through his word, we have a prayer book. It has been given to us by the divine sovereignty of God who loved us enough to leave us with his word. Inspired, inerrant word of God. Closeness comes through conversation. As I think about prayer, I often think about like the relationship between a husband and a wife. Healthy husbands and wives do what together? Be careful. They talk. They talk. Now, the reality is, some days you get to the end of the day and you're like, listen, I love you a lot. I just don't want to talk right now. And she would say, that happens a lot of days. I'm not, I'm not the, this is going to shock some of you. I don't like to talk a lot. 
It's not like in my natural deed. <laughs> Thanks for that. It's not my natural deed. I would rather sit in a room with a book and listen to music with my wife. But I'm not a huge talker. She is. She loves to talk. She loves the conversation. I don't mean that as a diss. That's a beautiful thing. And she's the one who pushes me to be like, hey, I want more than what you're giving me right now, right? Because conversation is important for the health of our marriage, for the health of our friendship. We have to talk, and I understand that, and I know that. And that's how God is continuing to even grow me. But closeness comes through conversation. Ultimately, God is the giver of every good gift. Do you believe that? If God is the giver of every good gift, sometimes what we think the good gift is and what God says is the good gift are different, though, aren't they? Right? Have you ever prayed a prayer that you thought was a good prayer and God didn't deliver on it? Is he still a good and loving God? Yes, maybe the thing that you desired most was the thing, was the thing that was distracting you from the presence of God the most. I remember praying as an athlete, praying like, would you just make me better at baseball? Right? If you would make me better, then I'll do this. Right? We do the tit for tat with God. It doesn't work like that. Right? It's like, hey, listen, if I can hit a couple more home runs this season, I might get drafted. If I get drafted, that would be an incredible platform to declare the gospel. You pray prayerless? Anybody else? No? Okay. Well, I quit then. I'm sorry. I am not worthy to be up here. But ultimately, God is the giver of every good gift. Prayer, I think what we want so much in prayer is we want proximity to God, right? We want to know and be assured of his presence, and it's there. But we also kind of want a guarantee, don't we? That's the human side of it. Like, we bring things to God, and we want God to guarantee that it's going to go well for us. And sometimes it doesn't. So what do we see here with Paul? We see Paul praying with kind of four different things. He's praying with expectation, okay? He's praying with dependence, He's praying with humility. He's fallen on his face before the Lord. And he's praying with a significant amount of confidence because he believes that the gospel is true. That's what he just laid out over the first three chapters. The gospel is true. Then I can pray with expectation. I can pray with dependence. I can pray with humility. And I can pray with confidence. So here's an example. God, we trust you to heal her. Anybody prayed that? We trust you to heal her. We know that you have the power to heal her. It's a good prayer. But even if you don't, and we see this over and over and over and over in Scripture, even if you don't, we trust that you are good, and your ways are higher than our ways, and we will worship you. That's pretty simple. God, I trust that you can even if you don't, I will worship you. So whatever the situation, whatever the scenario in your life is, the thing that you're bringing to God most frequently, put it in that context. That is a good and right prayer because ultimately it's molding our hearts to worship God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason. All right, let's look at verse 16. So we get a couple of these so that's, right? In verse 16, that for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. This is verse 14. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Okay, let's don't breeze by that. What is, it's like literally every family, every person. Yes, he knows all the hairs on your head, but he also knows your name. 
He knows your story and he cares. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be what? Strengthened. You see, the church in Ephesus was really smart. We talked about, we established this over the course of the last three or four weeks, but especially last week. They knew a lot about God and yet they needed to be strengthened because their doctrine hadn't informed their worship yet. Their doctrine, what they knew about God, hadn't impacted their neighbors yet. You see the disconnect. So if all we're doing is filling, if we come in week after week after week after week, and all we're doing is learning a whole lot about God, and our affections are never being stirred, and our feet are never moving, then what we're learning about God isn't about a true God. We're just learning to answer seminary-level questions. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So we have these three requests in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19 that Paul is praying. The first is his prayer for strength. Okay, Kids, if you're in the room and you grab the sheet, your first point is that our strength comes through the spirit so that Jesus can dwell within you through faith. It's not just for kids, by the way. They just have a sheet where they get to circle a thing. And if they circle the thing, they're going to feel really good that they were listening. Okay? But that's for all of us. Our strength, guys, our strength comes through the Spirit. There's nothing you can do to become a stronger Christian. Now, there are disciplines that you can put in place that God has graciously given to us. Right? Reading the Bible. Praying. Fasting. Solitude. Silence. All these things are good, and God can use those, but only God can give you strength. And listen, he's stronger than whatever you're walking through right now. He is. Okay? Prayer for strength, prayer for understanding, and a prayer for filling. Paul's first request is this, that they would be strengthened, that we would be strengthened. Specifically, he's praying that the church in Ephesus would be strong. We're strengthened with power through his spirit and in our inner being. Now, one of the things, if you grew up in a church like I grew up in, we, ask, we would ask kids a lot. Okay, all you have to do is ask Jesus into what? Into your heart. And then we kind of fill them up with this like sort of guarantee that if you ask Jesus into your heart, it's all okay. You're not going to go to hell anymore. Okay? And we leverage hell against the child's heart. Maybe some of you are adults in the room, you're like, oh my goodness, that that was like my experience. It was mine. It it literally was my experience. And I just want to say this like very, for everyone to hear, Jesus wants more than just your heart. He wants your whole inner being so that your inner being would motivate your exterior being for the good of those around you. If If all Jesus wanted was his heart, then we would no longer have to make disciples. But we do. That was his command to us. Go therefore and make disciples because our heart must inform our hands and feet to go out into the world. And if we're not postured in prayer, we'll never do that in the context of what Christ has asked us to do. The second request that Paul has is for the church to understand and experience the love of Christ. Okay? To understand and experience the love of Christ. When you begin to comprehend, and what Paul uses these amazing words, he says, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Okay? 3D. When you begin to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of Christ's love for you, you can't remain unchanged. You cannot. Once you begin to understand that, the, God, the Spirit of God has now changed your heart. It is, this is what was earlier in Ephesians. A dead heart has now been made alive. 
And only living things can respond to things, right? We established this a few weeks ago. And so as the Spirit has given you a newness of life, and you begin to understand and comprehend Christ's love for you, which it was love, by the way. It was the will of the Father to send the Son to be crushed for his people. And he was fully crushed for us. But you can't remain unchanged. Love is the natural and necessary outcome of a living faith that is the fruit of Christ's work in the, in the Christian. So what does that mean? That means as we, 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 we talk a lot about banners here, okay? We also talk about needing new banners because they keep breaking, like literal banners. But I'm talking about the banner of the gospel, okay? Anybody at set up this morning? Okay. But we carry this banner of the gospel into the world. The world is a dark place. Can we all agree there? And I'm not just talking about what's happening in Israel. That's dark and it's evil. But the same darkness and same evil is right here. It's in this little town. It's on that little university's campus. It's at my kid's school. The same darkness. Where the absence of the gospel is, it's dark. And so we are the banners of light. You are to be light in the world. Well, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? Well, this tells us that it looks like love. That's what it looks like. And that word is hard. We like to put it on coffee mugs. Love. Love your neighbor. That's cool. What if you have a terrible neighbor? What does that look like? Can I love you from a distance? No, you can't. You have to love in proximity. This is why the church is established as a family of God. You cannot love your family when you're not with your family. This is why we do holidays together. This is why, like, even in my house, we try to make, we don't get to do it every night, but we, if we have a chance to sit at the table, we're going to do it. Because for us to be together is for us to act the love that God has given us for one another. Rehearse the love. Okay, the third request of Paul is that they are filled with the fullness of God. And this is huge. This is huge. When we receive the fullness of God, the stuff of the world no longer owns us. Right? Think about a big cup of water. Right? When you fill that thing up, is there room for anything else? No. As soon as you put something else in there, what happens? It spills over. The water now is gone. But we are filled with the fullness of God so that others might see the excellencies of his glorious grace. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's writing to Timothy. He says this in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Just in case you've forgotten where the, my strength comes from, okay? Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor an insolent opponent. But, but, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, when we're filled, filled with the fullness of God, all the things of the world aren't as appealing, are they? Now here's the reality, is that we're still being filled. Okay, because the, the world still is going to throw something at you and it's like, did you see the new iPhone? It's titanium. And it's awesome. It has 17 cameras. It's bigger and thinner. 
that's the thing that keeps getting me, okay, is how does iPhone, this, has, this is not in the Bible, how does the iPhone keep getting bigger and thinner? Somebody let me know that, and I'll, I'll be happy to listen to you, okay? But that's the, that's the reality, is that the world keeps throwing stuff, and I'm just, that's a facetious example, right? But it is, man, you, I need an upgrade, you know? Do you? And somehow they keep making this phone not be as good as soon as the new one comes out. Because they know that we have a place in our little cup that says, this is where the iPhone goes. And we've already splashed the water out, so now when we take the iPhone out, what's, what's there? Nothing. Until you put the new one in. And so whatever the thing is, and iPhone's the ricochet shot here, but whatever the thing is in your life that we allow to fill us up will be the thing that eventually we bow down and worship. The fullness of God dwelling within us. We are filled so that we might walk in love. Kids, your second point is that the Father plans salvation. Right, We're culminating now all of this transition. We're culminating everything that Paul has laid out in the first three chapters here before we get to the doxology of verse 20. The Father plans salvation. The Son plans accomplishes salvation, and the Spirit applies salvation. So if you're in the room, and you're not a Christian, and you're wondering, well, what does this actually look like? This is what it looks like. This is why this little church gathers week after week after week after week after week after week. Because we believe that God is big enough to save sinners. That's what we believe. And I'm a sinner. And you're, even if you're new, you are a sinner. And the good news of the gospel is that new life is given to those who love him. Who love him. So look at verse 20. Now to him, this is the one that we actually put on coffee cups, okay? If you've been in church at all in your entire life, you've heard these verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In chapter 1, Paul asks that the Ephesians church might know God's power. Okay? That they might know His power. And now in chapter 3, he's asking that they might know that the God's power at work in them. It's one thing to know His power. It's another to know His power in how it works in you. Sometimes our doubts about God's ability to do, what does Paul say right here? Far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Sometimes our doubts that God can do that is based on the reality that we underestimate the power at work within us. We think God's like, he's way off. He doesn't hear my cries. He doesn't hear my prayer. Or what I think might be worse, we think that our sin's too much to be forgiven and God's not listening anymore. That is real life. I have met with, I don't know how many college students in particular over the years who've come to me and said that. God doesn't listen to me anymore. You know how I know? Because this is what I did last night. And you want to be like, no. I'm sorry for banging this. I'm really not that kind of a preacher. You should know that, but I did, I did and I apologize. God doesn't work like that. 
It's not some grand Christian karma. And yet God's people are called to do good in the world. But your goodness doesn't bring you closeness to God. Only God does that. He reels you in. He brings you into his fold. He brings you into the family of God. And then he sends you out into the world for the good of others and for his glory. So no matter what your doubts are, if, if you underestimate the power of God or if you, your doubt is that God's not big enough to cover my sin, both of those are lies. God is powerful enough to hear your prayer. God is powerful. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, by the way, that now indwells us by his presence and his spirit. It's the same power now in us. So as we close just want you to think through these thoughts. As Christians, we should always be praying. I've said this a bunch lately. I'm going to say it again. Is we're not a people that pray. But we are a people of prayer. Okay? Do you understand the difference? I don't sometimes pray. I am a person of prayer. Because even the cries of my heart that I don't think are directed towards God, he hears those cries. Even the times where you think that you're not enough or the thing is too bad or you're just too wicked or they're never going to save my whoever. He hears those prayers. We should always be praying. We should always be bringing our sins before God. I'll tell you what, you reconcile Ephesians chapter 2. And every time sin is in your life, you come back to the Father in, in, in humility. And you say, yeah, 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 I don't want any part of that. Thank you for the gift of salvation. That's Christ living now in us. We should always be reminded that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's why we're going to say it here every week. Not of any work of your own so that you can't boast, you arrogant little person. I love you, by the way. And finally, we should always remember that in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. You've been, you've been chosen by God to be his son or his daughter. Think about the intimacy of that. Think about the gift of, hey, I know that your dad is terrible, but I'm going to come and I'm going to be a good and loving and perfect father to you because I love you and I know your name. That is the story of the gospel. There's no prayer, guys. No prayer that's too small for God to hear. Would you bring your petitions to him? Because God can do amazing things. He's done an amazing thing in my life. And I know he has in many of yours. If these things are true then, in the pivot that we have in this amen of Paul, then what is to come is important because now what he's going to do starting next week is pave a way for what Christian living looks like in the world. And so over the next handful of weeks until we get into Advent, we'll be looking at those things. But all these things that we've learned about who God is now must dictate who we are to be in the world. And so here's what I want to, last call, last petition, I promise, is will we do it together? Because here's what I know to be true. I'm 38 years old. I know, some of you are like, dang, 38 I'm at the point in my life where it's like, I don't know how much is out in front of me. I know what's behind me. I'm thankful for it. But however many days I have left, 
I want to spend them doing this with you until you fire me. And then I hope we'll still be able to do it together. I'll just go do it somewhere else too. Okay? That's, what I, that's, what, that's why we have a church. That is what the church is supposed to do. To be reminded and to be sent. And then you come back in and you take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. And then you be reminded and then you're sent. That is who we are. That is what we are doing. So as we close, we, we close each week uh, with by going to the table and taking communion. So there's, there's bread and there's a bowl of juice. And the way that we practice is we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the cup as a way to remember all that Christ has done for us. And so as you do that, I want you to remember this prayer. Maybe even take your Bible and read the prayer again. Think through, where, where am I not humble? Where am I not desperate? Where am I not expectant? Think through those things and pray this prayer. Now, some of you in the room, maybe you're like, hey, I don't know, but I want some of that. Um, our elders and, and staff team will be around the room. Just find somebody who looks like they know what they're doing, even if they don't. And they can help you find somebody maybe who wants to pray with you. But we want to make available to you a time to ask questions, to talk, to press in, to see what God might be doing in your life. And then lastly, and we don't make this call a lot here at the branch, it's just because it's not part of our DNA really, but some of you in the room I know, because some of you have come to me, who are like, I'm a Christian. And I can tell that you are, right? You're following after Jesus, and it's, it's obvious in the way that you're living your life. But I haven't been baptized yet. Would you think about that today? Like, let that be part of this call and response. Like, I've had conversations even this week with people in our church who've been a part of our church now for at least a semester. Like, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been baptized. We want to make a way for you to do that. So if that's you in your room, come find me. I'm the guy in the vest. I'm 38. I'll be over there, Okay. I want to know. I want to hear your story. We want to, we want to put you in a cold horse trough outside. And uh, if, if you haven't been here for baptisms, that's how we have to do it. So uh, anyways, uh, all joking aside, it's such an important thing. Hear me say that. It's such an important response. It is, it is falling on your knees before a good and loving father. That is what baptism is. It's being reminded that I've been, I've been buried with Christ in baptism. Now I'm being raised to a newness of life. It's an example of what Christ has done and what he has promised to do in his return. So I, I'm, we're late. I'm sorry. I just, I'm fired up. So um, let's pray now, okay, uh, as we go to communion and um, in a time of prayer and response. Father, we are very thankful today for who you are. We're thankful that you have come to us as a good and loving father who sent his son uh, to die for the atonement of your people, and now that you've, you've given us your spirit so that we might walk in Christ-likeness. So would you call us to that? Would you call out in us what we don't even know is there yet? Would you help us to walk humbly, to walk faithfully, to walk boldly? And would you use us in the world to point to other people to you? Would you use us to tell a better story of what's going on in the world or to bring hope where it seems like there may be no hope. Father, I pray for uh, those in the room now who are just the wheels are churning in their head of like, gosh, I don't know, but I know that where I'm going and what I'm doing isn't right. And uh, would you help them to find space, even now in this moment, to rest in the beauty of the gospel? So we love you. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this building. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.